it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The Team Never Quit podcast is sponsored by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal Credit Union, every day is Veterans Day. Learn more at NavyFederal.org slash veterans. Never quit. Never quit. Never quit radio. All right, everybody, welcome back to the TNQ podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Luttrell. Every week, it's my job to fire you up, to ignite the legend inside of you, and to push you to your greatness. Join me every week as I take you into my briefing room with some of the most hard-charging people on the planet. They're going to show you how to embrace the suck of life, teach you the values of working your ass off, and charge through whatever life throws at you. This is the Team Never Quit Podcast. Don't buckle up, Buttercup. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Team Never Quit Podcast. Marcus, Morgan, Trey, how you guys doing? Hi. Hello. It is a beautiful weather day in Texas. It is a... It is phenomenal. We have one. We have usually just have like one, and it's today. Bro, if you ever become governor, we need to make it needs to be like a Texas mandate. If if the weather is at what's what's the perfect temperature? Sixty eight degrees. Sixty eight. Yeah. It's sunny. If the weather hits that, you don't have to go to work. You're not allowed to go into buildings in Texas. You have the day off. Yeah. Well, yeah, we don't get many of those days, so oh, we're moving towards them every day. But yeah, but there we go. Oh. Yeah. Watch. He'll pass that rule. Then every right? day will be yeah, sixty eight exactly. degrees. <laughs> If you guys are not subscribed on YouTube, you got to check us out there because we're putting out short clips every week, putting out some awesome videos. You guys get to see kind of behind the scenes of what we're doing here at the show. It's a lot of fun. And if you guys know it, then you know it. It's patreon.com. That's where we have all the exclusive access to our show. We've got a question from our Patreons. They ask us, how many Bucky's have you been to and what are your favorite items to get there? Sergeant Q, I don't even know if you know what a Bucky's is. And if you don't, you're about to be filled in. Yeah, I have no idea. So I, I do travel across the country quite a bit, but yeah, enlighten me, gentlemen. What's up? You what's up come, you're gonna have to come through here, and it's hard to explain. So imagine a super mall all about Texas history and anything you can think of inside a gas station and a, a supermarket. I would say like just like all, the best barbecue and then hot dogs, everything you could ever want to snack on, eat on. If you ever need anything for the deer camp or from the mall. Beaver nuggets. It's beaver, in there. Beaver nuggets are where you go there, right? <laughs> I mean, like if, you, if you're doing a road trip, you swing in and get those. But the kicker is there's, there is literally probably more than 100 gas and diesel pumps. You're not going to believe it when you see them. Okay, okay. So um, something like similar. Vegas, with- something going on in Vegas out there. It's uh, we have like a loves or a oh, um, we got down. Oh, yeah, you can put a love inside. You, you can put, you can a put both, of those, po- both of those inside one of those buckies. Okay, okay, yeah, I have not seen one of those. Yeah, a hat so trick they, is if you, just if you swing Texas? out and is get the water the burger on the way out, yeah. <laughs> if they sold water burger and buckies, it would just be game a, changer. I don't know, and, and I don't have, even know why. You yeah, the blue bell ice cream. There's your hat trick right there, right? How Bucky's, many buckies? 
I couldn't I'm, tell you how many I've been up. I'm not going to say all of them. I mean, maybe a dozen. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. no way been in all of them. They're mostly in Texas. I think they're starting to finally venture out of Texas, but they're mostly in Texas. Hey, that man had a great plan. So from what I understand, he he built them on the past when uh, something big was going on in Texas, like in between cities. Yeah. Like a college football game or like when hunting season opened up. They'd be on the way on the way out, the route out there. Yep. And it kind of kind of grew from there. Went where everybody wasn't. Only a certain just because they are off. in the middle of nowhere, like Waller, middle of nowhere. That's all they've got. The Waller Ennis, yeah, Madisonville. So, so they're just a chain. There's like hundreds of them out there. No, no, there's not, huh? no, no. There's Dude. maybe like two dozen. Yeah, it's oh, the Bucky's okay, line. Okay. I mean, how, how, how many are there? <laughs> yeah, look that up. Hey, Let's look it up. Yeah, look, look it up. up. Look at it up. Come Fact on. check. How many Bucky's? So, what was the question? How many have I been to? And and what are your favorite? Like, what are your go-to snacks there? I think we already threw that out. Oh, you know what? You know what they're best known for? The, how cl- the cleanliness of their bathrooms. Oh yeah, that's kind you of you gotta thing, go in man. just to go to the bathroom. Yeah, I, I, and if hey, you don't I have to dig, go to I the bathroom, you pull in there and get a bunch of stuff till you do have to go to the bathroom, and there you go. Yeah, their beef jerky is solid. <laughs> They've got a huge beef jerky like bar. Yeah, there's like a concession right in the middle, and they're just making barbecue. And All right, does that answer how, how often we hang out in there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, they just dropped edible cookie dough at the Bucky's and Waller, the, and it is. Amazing. Because there's really one, good. there's one on our towards R five. Yeah, I hate I, I I like you guys telling me that it's got a clean bathroom because I'm a janitor by trade. I own a, a janitorial company, so I judge most restaurants and uh, gas stations by the cleanliness of their bathrooms. Yeah, so that's actually that's one of the biggest. Things. All right, there, is there a bathroom app across the the oh, the country? Hard. So like when you're driving, you're like, hey, ch- check it out right here. We this place is best great. bathrooms in America. Yeah, this. is there one of those? I like you can film so. it from inside the bathroom. Say, hey, reporting live. <laughs> That's you cool. know, I you... thought about that actually. I thought, wait, who would want to see that? Everybody. Are <laughs> that, you kidding me, man? All right. Hey, maybe I'll do it because I travel There's so many, so many people out here. there that they're there's scared so many people with phobias. Like, I, this bathroom, no hovering required. Cleanliness. <laughs> hey, what, what was that? American Pie was shit break, dude. He wouldn't even go to the bathroom out in, in, in school. In school. Had to go home. Everyone has that phobia of taking a dub in school and some hot chick walks in on you. And the only way to get over that is if that happens. And it happened to me. It was a, it's a great story. I'm not going to tell it. But anyways. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> you're right. I mean, think about that. People, especially if you're rolling with the tribe, the wife, you don't even want your kids to oh, go yeah. into something. I would, oh, yeah. I, I hear you. I, so I, I'm living that van life when I travel. So I've got a, a Winnebago motorhome. Just, uh, it's, a, it's a van. So do you have a sprinter? Um, what, what size van do you got? Because we're trying to yeah, look at it's the sprinter van. It's the sprinter van chassis, but Dodge. Um, so Dodge makes the van, and then Winnebago picks it up and they mod it out. So I've got the Winnebago Solus. So it's got a bathroom and kitchen That's in it. Cool. Oh yeah, we so were looking super at nice. how, how is how is that? We were looking at those. I absolutely love it. It's totally self-contained. There's a couple things I would do different. Um, with it so i the the full shower that's inside i don't really use it a lot it's kind of small so i would just eliminate that and keep keep the toilet in there but make it a countertop instead of a full-size shower and then it has a shower hookup off the back end so if you want to take a shower like if you're boondocking out there in in the woods um you just you open the doors this way and there's a curtain that goes across there's already a rod there and there's hookups for your hot water uh, shower head right back there off the back of the off the van so you can just shower outside or if you're traveling cross country you can always hit up a loves or one of those places they got showers in there or a lot of campsites if you stay at a campsite they have built-in showers right there so having the shower inside i think it just takes up a lot of room i don't really use it because it's so small it's really difficult to use so i would eliminate that but other than that 
uh, it's phenomenal. I I've loved it. I I've had a trailer and a motorhome, and now I'm doing the van life thing, and I absolutely love uh, the van life. It's the best. But well, all the buses that we go, the bathroom's the big deal. I, and I, I get that. That's kind of if you're gonna if you're not gonna stay at the hotels or you don't have a place to shag out or whatever. But the that if that breaks, I remember we always had trouble with that. And the bathroom, you put the toilet in there if, if you don't want to just if you don't have time if you're just hauling ass somewhere. Yeah, so with the with the toilet, it's really great because you can get up and use the toilet when you're driving. Well, the no, passenger what? can, Say, right? The driver, the, the oh, driver. Yeah, 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 yeah. story. Did you hear what those? I mean, you, you right, can do a hot swap, I guess, right if you wanted. But take the wheel, I hit the hot button, take it. <laughs> but uh, what's nice is it it doesn't have an internal tank, right? Like you know how you have to empty a tank into a uh, with the hose and all of Still that. Right the, road. the the Winnebago <laughs> has what's called a cassette toilet that you actually take from the outside. So on the side of the van, there's these two buttons. You push these buttons, and the door pops open, and then you grab this cassette out, and it's probably about. Uh, I don't know, 20 inches long by about 12 inches wide by about eight inches deep. And you pull that out and it's got a handle that unfolds and you just wheel that bad boy right into any bathroom. That's your business, you undo right? the little nozzle, little you tip it over, you hit the air release, the air gap release, and it just, everything goes right down the toilet, just like that. And then you're on the road, ready to go again. So you don't have to worry about finding a place to empty the, the internal tank. Awesome. What about the fuel yeah, tank? Yeah, go go check them out. I'm sure that there's an RV dealer around where you can check out the Winnebago Solus. Uh, they've got a new one out that's like a, a miniature version of the Solus, but it doesn't have a lot of the upgrades. It doesn't have the AC, um, and it's got a few other things that it's missing. But oh, that's it's key a too, man. Version. We've been in, we've been in when the AC went out. We stopped into Walmart and bought every all those. time. Yeah, every, yeah. Matter of fact, it's every time. Buy the the miniature AC unit. Every time you can plug in. Yep, and wall fans. Driving down with yep. the bus, having them things rolling Just out. sweating. Yeah, I, I have to have the AC, man. I can't sleep at night. It, it's, it's You need awful. a Uller. I need the AC. Just saying. Uller. Yep. You need Uller. a Uller. Uller system. A Hooler system. Uller. Uller. O-O-L-E-R. There are a Oh, hand- yeah. Okay. Yeah, I know that. Yep. If you don't have one, I always tell those I speak with that there are a few things in this world that I have come across that I cannot live without. I look forward to that. That is now one of them. It, it is. When you're talking <laughs> right, about air I'm conditioning, gonna... this might be the wheels a good one. Yoga pants, wheels that's a great good. one. Yeah, yeah. Sliced bread worked out for everybody. A good, yeah, that's a good that's a good association. The Uller is just as important as the wheel. Yeah. Very good. So have you guys done van life? Have any of you guys has done that? Traveled mm-hmm. it in the military. Uh, like done van life? Yeah. Well, we're married with kids now. They're not really Some down for that. Trips, but that's about it. Yeah, we have we have an annual trip. We do. Yeah. I mean, I would call it living like you're living. But I did the RV life for two years. Nobody's talking. Okay, to you. sorry, but I did it. Okay, <laughs> how, how was it? It was fun in the beginning. It like we had two big dogs. Like with anything else, it just yeah, it just gets, it got old. It got small. It got small. Great place. We it had does dogs. get small really quick. Yeah, you've you've got to be a minimalist, man. You can't be carrying a bunch of stuff with you, a bunch of clothes and shoes and stuff like doesn't work out. And I'm a phone call pacer. I like to like pace when I take phone calls. And like when you're just in this one little cigar box, it gets tight. Yeah, absolutely. It absolutely well, does. Can't you open um, the door? How I started could this. could open the door. Well, then what's the problem? <laughs> just pacing in and out. Supposed to be you can't walk around <laughs> outside. That's what outside's okay. for. Got it right here. Do not live in a van. Do All not. Right. <laughs> Do not live in a van down by the river. Yeah. Down, down by the river. Yeah. Down yeah. by the river. It's got to be down by the river. Unless you're learning to be a motivational speaker. There you go. Yeah, that'll give you some motivation right there for sure. 
Well, let's make I, some, uh, let's kind of make some official introductions because we've been talking to you for a few minutes here. Sergeant Q is a veteran, speaker, author, father, PTSD ambassador. He endured a rough upbringing before becoming a proud Marine right out of high school, struggling with PTSD himself. He is on a mission to help save the lives of his fellow comrades. Aaron, welcome to the show, man. Hey, thanks for having me, you guys. I appreciate you guys putting me on your platform and giving me a, a place where I can, you know, share my experiences. Yeah. Spe- say your last name appropriately. Spell it or say it? Say it. Quinones. Yeah, I knew it. Yeah, it's a marine name. <laughs> I knew Quinones. it. <laughs> I called it Heartbreaker Ridge. Heartbreaker Ridge, man. <laughs> oh, jeez. Uh, I was waiting for that to oh, come out. Okay. okay. I was we were like, he has to have heard Kalinas. this a thousand times. <laughs> as soon as brother walked in, he's like, Quinones. <laughs> And we yeah. started laughing, man. That was awesome. That's great. Yeah. And so it's funny because, um, you know, nobody could say that in the Marine Corps, right? So it just became, you know, uh, Q, you know, Lance Corporal Q, Corporal Q, and then, you know, Sergeant Q. And then uh, I pretty much forgot about that whole name until uh, I started getting back into working with veterans and doing suicide prevention. And I started working with a lot of my guys and that's what they knew me as was Sergeant Q. And so then all the civilians are like, what is, what is this? I'm like, Oh, that's what I was in the Marine Corps and explain it to them. And then it just kind of stuck. And so now it's just kind of its own brand, which is kind of weird, but yeah, that's how that whole thing started. Gunny highway could say it. Yeah. (laughs) Well, we had a Q, a couple of them, right? Quattromani, which was a Q. We just went with Q. Yeah, it's just that's just the easiest way to go. My son sure. started playing basketball a couple of weeks back on a, on a tournament kind of deal, and, and one of his teammates, I called him Q, coolest kid. Yeah, that's what we do now. I mean, I, it's crazy how. And I was I was talking uh, earlier, somebody, man, we, the path that we started out on, because when we were born back in the day, man, they didn't even have all this. This didn't even exist. It's like, right. hey, if you told your parents that you were going to be a podcaster and an influencer, they'd have been influencing with what? What's on, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> Are you going to be the bad influence? I like, know. That, that, that's kind of where we were, we're going with that. I was like, what kind of influence? I was like, well, you, you, they couldn't even believe what happens when we all get reconnected. Right. So let's, let's back this up, man. How did you, everything that you're doing now, man, the experience is kind of. The, like, yeah, get like background. Your family, your daddy, Marine. No. So actually, uh, I grew up on a, on a hippie commune out in Northern California, man. Yeah, you live, Talk you, about that. You love our mother. Yeah. You same so, we, we got, yeah, um, we got, we're half breeds in that, in that cult too. <laughs> yeah. So I, I grew up, um, in this place called Mad River, California, and, uh, it's in the middle of nowhere. So it's between Redding and Eureka on this little mountain road called highway 36. It's a small little logging town out there. So, uh, all you got is a bunch of rednecks and hippies that live out there and the rednecks are loggers and the hippies are pot farmers. And so that's what I grew up. My, my family was, <laughs> were, were pot farmers growing up. And so, uh, I've watched that industry go from the wild West to main street. So when, when I grew up, they had a special, uh, police force that was specifically for tracking down and eliminating uh, pot farmers, which was called CAMP, California Agricultural Marijuana Patrol. And so they would fly in every August with these spotter planes and they would look down with uh, this infrared because the THC inside the marijuana glows brighter than the other foliage around it. It, it holds more heat. So they would look for these patches and they would mark them and then they'd bring over the sheriff's department and these guys would fast rope down and they would cut the weed and throw it in this big net and haul it off. And they never got all of it. And so, um, 
because they were really good at hiding it out there. And so I remember I'd come home, you know, in August or not in August, but in October, you know, from school and uh, everybody'd be just sitting around trimming buds. I wasn't doing homework. I was trimming buds. And uh, that was just our way of life. And growing up as a kid, you just don't know any different, right? Like that's just what you're doing. And um, you're told to not, not to hate the police, but to just stay away from them. Right. Because, you know, they could take your family to jail and all of that stuff. And everybody I knew growing up was involved in the drug trade. So everybody would grow all these pounds of marijuana. And then these gangsters from LA would come up and buy the whole set, you know, from everybody and take it back down to LA and sell it. So you guys know anything about marijuana? Uh, Humboldt County is in what they call the Emerald Triangles, where all the the really good marijuana came from. And they're the ones who really started um, the industry going mainstream with medical marijuana. And then eventually, you know, what we see on Main Street now legalized. And so I grew up watching that industry go uh, all the way through. But growing up, because it's the outlaw lifestyle, man, you know, I I dealt with a lot of things that um, I didn't realize were terrible as a kid. You know, there's a lot of things that come along with that kind of life. There's, you know, alcoholism, drug abuse, child abuse, sexual abuse, homelessness. Because of my dad's addiction, we ended up being homeless for a little bit uh, when I was a kid and we lived on the river in some tents. And man, being homeless as a kid is a trip because you know, it's not right, but your brain can't really process, you know, no, what's thinking, going yeah, on. You think you're outside hanging out. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's not right, but you don't really know how to, how to make sense of that. And so I experienced some of that. My mom ended up uh, saying she had enough of that lifestyle and moved us all up to Coos Bay, Oregon. And she worked as a maid uh, for many years at Best Western uh, Hotel. And she, we didn't have a car, so she'd walk across town and, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of my work ethic, you know, came from my mom watching her struggle with four kids, being a single mom and raising all of us, you know, I mean, she'd walk to work in the rain and, uh, you know, make beds and clean rooms all day and then come home. And I, I can remember one, one time where, uh, I was on the school bus and it was really pouring down rain and, and we're driving by and, uh, I see this lady on the side of the road and she's carrying one, uh, one, uh, garbage bag in her left hand and another one kind of over her shoulder. And she's walking in the rain. I thought, man, that poor lady, what is she doing? And as we pass, it's my mom. And, uh, she was walking to the laundromat on her day off to do laundry for us. And I just thought like, man, anytime that, that my life gets tough, or I think I got it hard. I just look back at that and that motivates me to keep going, you know, cause if my mom can endure all of that and take care of four kids, like I got nothing to complain about. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. 
Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Good Lord, buddy. Yeah. God bless our mothers. Hold on, I'm gonna text, yeah, text man. mine right now. Your yeah. mom is uh is is mama still around? Oh yeah, yeah. So she's actually she's in Las Vegas right now. Um, she's fighting cancer. What? And so I was Let's there get her just a couple here. weeks ago. What? what are you? Yeah, about? man. I'll, you know I'll I mean? put her on. She'll she'll chat with you guys about it. I'm sure. Yeah. So she uh, uh, I did my cross country road trip, the Healing Through Service tour, and you know, do different engagements, speaking engagements and stuff. And, uh, we cut it short to go to Las Vegas so I could spend some time with her. Cause she went through her first round of chemo. Um, she had a tumor, uh, in her nostril and it was growing at a really rapid pace. So they said it was uh, stage four, which is usually really, really bad, but she responded really well to the chemo. The tumor actually like fell out, which was amazing. You know, that's the power of prayer right there. Cause we're praying over her every day. And, uh, so she's going in for her second round, but man, the prognosis is looking really, really, really good. So she's oh, feeling good. good. She, she just finished her second round. And so we got about six more weeks of this, I think, and, uh, she should be in the clear. So she's doing really, really good. Like it she's fell a out of her man. nose. What's that? The tumor fell out. Like fell out. Yeah. Of so nose. the tumor was growing. So she was having trouble breathing. So she went to the doctor to, uh, see what was going on. They thought there was a polyp in her nose, like you know, some inflammation and they did a little biopsy and said it was cancerous. Well, when they did the biopsy, uh, that like pissed it off. And so it began to grow at a rapid pace and the tumor that was in her nose actually started growing out of her nose. Um, and it was pretty brutal, you know, wow. she's, and so she was pretty scared and, you know, we were all pretty shocked, like, wow, this came on super quick. And so they, they rushed her in to start, um, you know, chemo and they want to do radiation as well, but radiation takes a little bit longer to set that process up. And they're like, well, we, we want to do both because we really want to kick this thing in the pants because it's growing so rapidly. And so they did, they, they started chemo, um, you know, a few weeks ago and yeah, I think after two weeks, um, that, that tumor literally just, it just, shriveled up man and fell out and we're all like whoa that was trip and even the doctors were pretty surprised like they couldn't believe that that had happened you know because they thought it would they wanted to get it small enough so they could go in and cut it out oh, yeah. but they didn't even need to cut it out it that it just fell out now that she still has to do some residual stuff because there's still some cancer cells in deep inside the nasal cavity but the the big part of the tumor just it's gone man huh it's amazing yeah, we went through that with our mom. She uh, when breast cancer. She had breast cancer. Mm. She had a double mastectomy, and I remember right, we were, right before she went in, <clears throat> I went down there to fire up. I was like, "All right, mom, check it out. And you raised these boys. We all grew up together." I was like, "When we would go in the gym or we work out real hard or do chest, I, the next day, I mean, it felt like something was ripped out of us. I'd just be laying there, just couldn't even move." Right. I was like, but you lay there happy though. It's like a good feeling. Pain is pain. It's how you. It's how you look at it. What we were taught was how to shift our pain into a positive thing in the military. Had to. So it's like, all right, we're gonna put you to sleep, and when you wake up, your chest's gonna be sore. It's like we just worked out, worked your chest out real hard, and then after that, it's gonna be all good. Man, a week later, she was up running. She's like, I'm out of here. I'm good. She just. It was that mindset. I never lit off. You know, most people. 
around here, even when, when the harder the times get, the more positive we kind of stay. It's, it's like it's a it's a it's backwards for us now, and that never gives right. the, the person the opportunity to get down on themselves. And if yeah, you, that's because that'll start killing them. Like if the the vessel gives up, you're in trouble. Like all you need to do is take hey, you hold on, and we'll take care of the rest of this. And that's where that motivation comes from. Yeah, man, I I um I write about that in in my book actually. And so it, it was a trip. I, I started learning this stuff. I was I, I um, started reading the Bible and reading these medical journals about how the brain operated. And I found that they, that the science in the Bible are not at odds. They actually uh, coincide with each other. Yeah, one and explains so the other, right? That's exactly right. Like the Bible's the the um, the science is proving what the Bible's been telling us for thousands of years. And so I talk to people about that, like. The, this idea uh, called the negative bias, right? And so if you and I, if, if we have a negative interaction, it'll take five or six positive interactions for us just to get back to neutral, not even to build a relationship. And so uh, it's like that with everything. What you focus on, you find more of. Your brain is designed to focus on negative uh, aspects and negative experiences because it's a survival mechanism. Because if you do something stupid and it hurts, your brain says, hey, we don't want to do that again. It weighs that experience heavier, seven times heavier than a positive one. So I tell people in life that when something you know bad happens or something is difficult, uh, you know, people always say you got to find a silver lining or make lemons out of or make lemonade out of lemons. And so what that really means is that you got to take and reposition your mindset from that negative experience, find something positive, and then focus on that. Because what you focus on, your brain will find more of. And so there's a cool little uh, little exercise I do with guys uh, when I teach this course. And so I'll do it with you guys right now. So who here has recently in the last like six months bought a new car or new truck? Mm. You guys probably oh, buy trucks, I have, right? Me, yeah, right here. He needs one. Okay. All right. So what, what kind of rig did that? you buy? I, got, I bought a truck. What, what kind of truck? Uh, F-150 for, for uh, work. For, Ford. Ford F-150. Ford. Yeah. And what color was it? White. A white Ford F-150. So when you bought that that Ford, uh, white Ford F-150, and you're driving around town, did you start noticing other white Ford F-150s? Okay. Great point. I, not with that one, but when I bought my King Ranch, all white F three fifty. Every some bitch in the freaking state had one, right? And and so why why is that? Did everybody just buy one because you did? No, well, it's because maybe. you didn't <laughs> place a value on that vehicle until you bought it because you worked you worked a lot of hours to to stock up a bunch of money so you could buy that vehicle. So you told your brain that this vehicle has value to me, and so that way uh, it when your, your subconscious mind takes in all kinds of information that never brings to your conscious mind. And so all those trucks were always in your environment, but because you never assigned a value to them, it never brought it to your attention. But since you worked a long time to make a lot of money to buy that vehicle, your brain said, this is valuable. So every time it saw one, it brought it up to your conscious mind and you started noticing them everywhere. Your conscious mind did, right? Because there's a difference between looking at something seeing something and watching something. And if yes. you if you came up to buy that vehicle, that means your subconscious mind had been staring at it the whole time. 100%. That's right. That's right. And so so what you focus on, you find more of, right? And so you know people in your life who are constantly perpetually in a state 
of calamity, right? Oh, like, yeah, that's how we always run going... into, the, into the guys that are asses and, and fighting all the time is because we got into that business. We know what to look for. Right, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. So what you focus on, you find more of. I have a friend of mine, uh, he's an army veteran, and then he went and became a Seattle police officer. And he got all kinds of awards for finding stolen cars because that's what he focused on. He, he would look at the hot sheet, see what was out there, and he would focus his mind on finding all of those stolen cars. And he received all kinds of awards for doing that stuff because what you focus on, you will find more of. So if you focus on the negative, you're going to go down that rabbit hole, just like you were saying, and it's going to affect you on a physical level as well. But if you start focusing your mind on the positive, even in a bad situation, if you focus on the positive things, then your brain will find more of those as well. And that's where you start that upworld uh upward um, mental spiral, which actually can affect your physical body as well. As you take a bad time, stay in it until you turn it into a badass time, right? And when, when you learn how to, it's not that you master chaos. It's not like we learn how to get really good at it. It's safety. It's just, we practice it so much till we're, we're safe in the environment. That's right. right. Yeah. And it, it makes it because those bad situations, they're hard times. We don't we, yes. we're like saying, man, not bad. We just have hard ones because I don't care how old you are. The first time you ever get into a situation, uh, you'll react like a child if you've never seen it before. You usually go off of what everyone else is doing where we, you can react. That's why we have those the, the mechanisms in the body to allow that. And uh, that's the spice of life, too. Right. Going through them. It, it, it really is. It teaches you endurance. You know, I tell people, they look at me and say, how do you have all this success? You know, I say, hey, I'm nothing special. Um, you know, I just know how to endure hardship. I don't have to be better than anybody else. I just have to last longer than them. Exactly. So how do you explain the when when so in our crew, some of our 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 oldest friends, when we first met, we didn't get along. Like the the incidences were of usually going back and forth, picking on each other. Because as children, we we looked at it as violence, right? As opposed, and then there was one instance where after it was over, usually when we when, when they would let us fight back in the day, but there's usually one situation, then you turn into best friends, you're inseparable. And you don't even argue anymore. Have you seen crews like that? Yeah, absolutely. And so what happens is you have, uh, there's bonding through a shared experience, right? Right. And so uh, being in a fight is, is a traumatic experience. No matter if you win or lose, it's, it's traumatic. It's something that, uh, you know, the first time you get punched in the face, like that's a traumatic experience, yeah. right? But there's bonding in that. And that, that's whether, what I'm talking about. That moment, and everyone always overlooks that. You look at the, the beginning, the talk, the smack, then the, the fight itself, and then the aftermath. But the, in between that, I'm not talking about prize fighters. I'm talking about like when you go, there is a, when that collision happens, is that bond forms, that's right. And you learn a mutual respect for that guy. Yeah, that's too, where right? respect because, comes in. It's a it's an actual yep. physical thing. Yeah. So I um, you know, growing up in that redneck town, uh, I I grew up fighting pretty much my whole life, you know, at a young age, uh getting in fights all the time. And, you know, when I got into the Marine Corps, I uh I fought a lot. And so they said, All right, Q, you like to fight, then we're gonna send you someplace where you get your butt kicked every single day. And so they sent me to close combat instructor course and I became a well, close combat call instructor. You Q. I mean that that makes perfect sense too. That name's sticking. Yeah, you're the quartermaster around here. Congratulations, you're in. <laughs> yeah. So they you know I did that and then um my instructor said, Hey, if you really want to learn this stuff, go get a job as a bouncer at one of the dirtiest whiskey dives you could find. And so I was like, all right, I went out to San Marcos, California, and I started bouncing at this little bar called Acapulco's, this little Mexican whiskey dive. Back then you could get a, a margarita on Mondays was margarita Monday. You could get a margarita for $1.50 or a pitcher of margaritas for seven bucks. 
So you can imagine, uh, you know, how that turned out. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. So were you at Pendleton when you came in? Yeah, I pretty much spent my whole time with First Anglico. So I don't know if you guys ever worked with any Anglico guys. We did. Uh, I'm trying to remember exactly what time and where. So I was there 97 to 04 um, working with First Anglico. So it was us. So we're out at Las Flores. So there's only us and Recon out there. And then there's some LAV guys that would come in. Um, they're reservists. They would come in and use that training base because there's DZ tank park. And we used to jump there all the time and they'd be running their Amtrak's through there. So we, we'd I say Anglico, Anglico was in Ramadi with us. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yep. 100%. Back in the day, in the beginning, when you're talking about like 04, 02, all that stuff, we were still trying to figure out who we were. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was, uh, I could, I was always marveled at how the Vietnam guys and the world two guys. Well, I was like, and and September of this on this month and this year, I was in this this town, and I was with. I was like, "How do you remember all that? I, how do you remember that?" I, I even did the map studies, and I couldn't remember half the places that we went. But when you get out and you start routing around your buddies, and you run like into Marines, and the, all they do, all you have to do is drop your dates. When you drop your dates and where you were, then people are like, "Oh, all right, speak to me," because we we know what that was like. Everyone in the military knew and knows where the hot spots were at the certain times because we were all fighting to get in there. So when you right. when you talk to the guys, they're the ones that remind you. The, you, you know, your buddy's like, "Oh man, no, we weren't there. We were over here." And I was like, "Oh yeah, that's right," because I forgot about this part. It's strange how your brain will data dump some of that stuff. It's 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 weird, but as soon as somebody starts talking about it, then it like kicks it back up. Sure, it's a part of it. Yeah, you just data dump it. Is that what it is? A defense mechanism where you encode it. It's almost as powerful like smell, encoding and repressing are two different uh, things, but that's where it is. Everything you've ever seen done, all of my senses, everything you've ever looked at is in there so there's a black box in here yep it's a it's a big it's a thing anyway go ahead Pendleton. so yeah, yeah good I, times. Um, uh so with my, my childhood um you guys there's so there's a documentary out there called murder mountain have you guys seen that not yet right it's on netflix down. so it's called murder mountain so i grew up just on the back side of that just a little bit north those are your people is it well, I wouldn't say they're I'm my people, but that's how I grew up, right? And it's, it talks about, um, uh, you know, all the violence that happens up there in the drug trade. And uh, so, like I said, I grew up just entrenched in violence. And so, joined the Marine Corps and everything. It just, it, I didn't realize that that was trauma. 
that I was experiencing as a kid. But once I got in the Marine Corps and I started experiencing more and then I experienced combat uh, and I started having all these problems, um, all these things that I had dealt with as a kid started coming back because trauma is like really sticky, right? So if you have one trauma, you know, another trauma, they're going to stick together and then they become complex PTSD. And so uh, that's what I was dealing with was it wasn't just the stuff from, from Iraq because you know, I only did one tour over there and it was pretty mild compared to a lot of other guys, but that really uh, brought up a lot of that stuff from my childhood that I had to work through. And so that was really tough uh, having to go back and look, look back at my life and be like, oh yeah, that's right. You know, simple things like when I was a kid, um, two of my classmates went to prison for murdering these other kids who uh, it was a drug deal gone bad. And I, and I remember as a kid, I was thinking like, um, I thought it was really strange, but not that it had happened, but how quickly everybody just stopped talking about it. You know, it's just a, a surreal experience. And so things like that, you know, would come up um, as I was going through therapy and trying to figure out like, how does the brain operate? Because I figured that if, if my brain's like a weapon, right? And so if a weapon's malfunctioning, you do a function check, a tap rack bang, and you get it back in the fight. And I figured I got to do the same thing with my brain. So I started researching and figuring out how the brain operated. And that's when I started digging in and finding out all these other issues that hadn't been an issue before. Cause I had just pushed them down and suppressed them. Um, but man, once you get in there, it's like a, it's like an open wound, you know, you gotta, you gotta irrigate that whole thing and clean it out. Otherwise, you know, it's going to cause you problems later in life. Yeah. That's a great analogy. Yeah. So I, uh, I joined the Marine Corps straight out of high school because I didn't, uh, I, I wanted to be the farthest thing I could away from being, uh, you know, that hippie life that I grew up in. And they stuck you in and California so right beside it? <laughs> What's that? And then you wound up in California right beside it? <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Just exactly right. And uh, I, I spent time, um, you know, in the Marine Corps. And when I, when I got out, uh, man, I was really struggling. I, I didn't, uh, I didn't really understand mental health at all. I got out in 2004, you know, I was there for the in initial invasion, but then I came back and I went from my, from the battlefield to my front door in like 48 hours. And so there wasn't really out processing for us. I remember they stood us all in formation and they checked through all of our gear to make sure we weren't smuggling mortars home and stuff like that. Right. And then we're all standing there to get on the bird and they, they say, all right, well, if anybody's having any problems or any anxiety, anything like that, uh, fall out right now and you'll get your mental health treatment right here in country. Everybody else get on the bird. And I remember I was having problems then just, uh, some, you know, having nightmares at night and, and, uh, some hypervigilance, which I didn't really know what the problem was at the time, but, uh, I sure as heck wasn't going to stay in country, you know? So I was like, I'm getting out of here and it didn't take long. It took only a couple months before that stuff really started dragging me down, uh, as a civilian. Cause I'd processed out and, then, um, I started having problems. I was having nightmares at night. My wife was, was, uh, she, she was, she didn't understand it either. Right. And so because I wasn't dealing with my mental health, I ended up getting a divorce and, uh, ended up living on the streets in my car for a while because I tried to get help at the VA, but at the time the VA just wasn't any help at all. They weren't, they weren't set up to, to receive all of us coming back. And I would go to the VA, but because I didn't have a disability rating, um, I had to pay out of pocket for all of my, all of my treatment. And so I was like, screw that. I'm not paying you guys. And so I wouldn't pay the bill. And uh, Great idea. At, the end of the year, at the end of the year, they would just take my income tax. 
And so uh, they did that one year and I didn't have enough to pay rent and I ended up living in my car uh, for about six months before I could get back on my feet. So it was a rough ride for me, for sure. Um, you know, going through that and feeling like I wasn't supported and feeling like, uh, you know, the government had, had really screwed me over. And then I got into this, what I call a victim mentality, where I just felt like the world owed me something because, um, you know, I'd, I'd fought for my country and, and now I'm living on the streets. And I, I was just stuck in this victim mentality, like everybody owed me something. And man, that held me back for a long long time. And it wasn't until I could overcome that victim mentality that I was able to really start, uh, you know, getting my life together. You hear people coming out of college and you graduate college, you get your certificate, kind of going to the wor- end of the world. I remember that was the first jump we had. Same way with the military. I, I actually had to switch it around on myself and think of, think of it, we're always in school. Military was military university. And then they hammered it home by sending us over to war to examine anything and everything. Think about it, man. They only sent a handful of us over to different countries from age 18 to 25. The average age that runs an aircraft carrier is 19 years old, man, or 19 to 21 years old. That's who's running that. Yeah. That's who makes that work. I didn't think about it like that until yesterday. Someone pointed (laughs) that out to me. Yeah, And when you back it up, you're like, wait a minute, you let that age run all this, protect all this. But then at one point, you're like, then they can't do anything? Right. So I, right. I, I, mean- I, when, they, when they strapped the, like, you're out, I had to look at, like, I, I just took my uniform off and went into civilian clothes undercover. I never got out of the teams. And then when I got back from deployment, my, my admiral comes up. He's like, you got a new assignment for you. Because this is how my life worked. I had to do the book thing and then the movie thing. And then it was like, all right, what are you doing now? Well, thinking about like a husband and a father, that, that's hard. But if I was a team guy and that was my assignment to hook up with that hot chick, have some kids, raise them, coach them, get them to school. Like I got to drive the bus to school. I would team guy the mess out of that. Like I, I would right. have so much fun with that because that would be the, the greatest. If every guy in the team's heard about that assignment, they'd want to do it. And I, I started thinking I had to re take all the knowledge that I had and focus it that way. My hypervigilance, I had to focus it back down into the tunnel. Like right. To try and, because they shotgun us, they, it's like the slingshot, they kid pull us back our entire life and then they blast us out there and man, see what you're going to land and what, how, on the way back, you're going to pick some stuff up, right? What'd you learn? Right, right. And um, we joke about like PTSD is, you know, pharmaceutical training, standby for dosage. Or pissed off, tired, looking for something to do. Because once I started focusing all my attention, and the biggest thing, and I tell my wife still this, I was like, man, you got to tell me what to do. I I don't know why that is. I can't get around it. And first of all, I'm not going to quit anything. So if you start me on something, don't say, well, you got to quit, because as soon as I hear that, I'll shut it down, right? (laughs) We just got to move to something else. Right, um, right. Once we got that battle rhythm going, that ebb and flow kind of deal, it worked out. It works out famously. Yeah, I see a lot of guys that leave the military and they just kind of drop their pack at the door, right? And they're like, ah, I'm out you of the can't. military. So they just drop all of that stuff. And I'm like, no, that's good stuff, man. You just got to learn how to repurpose that well, for yep. civilian life. That's their problem and, is they think that they're dropping that pack and they're not. Everything that was in that pack, that care, that's in you. And if you're walking around thinking that you don't have that responsibility, what that problem is, is that's letting you know, it's like, no, 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 you still, we, it's still here. So it's that mindset again. Yeah, I, I I tell guys that uh, you know there's there's a lot of great things that the military taught us that we can repurpose for civilian life. I said you know you may have left the battlefield in Iraq, but every day that you wake up and you put your boots on the ground, you're on another battlefield. It's the battlefield of the mind, 
and you can you can repurpose those military tactics to overcome trauma. And so in my book, that's what I talk about. Uh, it's written specifically for veterans. Now civilians pick it up and they're able to navigate through it and and get some uh, help too. But all I'm doing is repurposing ba- military battle tactics to overcome trauma. And so when you look at uh, you know things like when I tell people when you're feeling anxiety, you have a panic attack, right? Like it feels like you're going to die. Like your brain cannot comprehend that, that you're safe, right? You're just, you feel like you're going to die. And I tell guys that, um, when you get in an ambush, you, the enemy wants to, uh, surprise you with fire, separate you from your squad so they can maneuver on you, uh, overwhelm you with fire, pin you down and kill you. Right. That's what they want to do in an ambush. Well, doesn't that feel like PTSD when you have a panic attack where it, you have this thing that surprises you. And so you're embarrassed or you're ashamed. And so you isolate away from your friends and your family. And then those thoughts and uh, suicidal ideation start bombarding you and maneuvering on you. And since you're alone, it overwhelms you. And then guys end up having a suicide attempt. And so I say, so what do we do uh, in a firefight? What do we do if we get ambushed? Well, the first thing we're going to do is return fire, right? We're going to return fire and then we're going to maneuver out of the way and then we're going to call for support. So how do we do that? How do we do that uh, on this battlefield of the mind? Well, the first thing is return fire. So we have to speak truth. So when we're having that anxiety, that, that stress hormones are being released into our body, we have to have the wherewithal to speak truth and say, you know what? There's no, there's no real threat here. I'm not uh, in any danger. I have, uh, I'm here in America. I'm with friends. I'm totally in a safe environment. You speak truth to that, that experience, and then you can begin to shift your mindset back from that emotional uh, state, which is your, your subconscious mind, emotional state to your cognitive thought process, because you're bringing yourself out of that emotional state. So you shifted your mind. And then the next thing you do is you call for help, right? You call one of your buddies or you tell your friends and family you're with like, Hey man, I'm not feeling good right now. I'm going to step out and do some breathing exercises, or maybe I'm just going to, um, you know, uh, go for a walk around the block real quick and try and get my head right. But you got to communicate with people and tell them that you're struggling. Otherwise they don't know. And guys are embarrassed about that. Like, oh, I don't want to tell anybody I'm struggling with this. I said, look, man, if we were on the battlefield and uh, you got hit by the enemy and you're taking fire, would you be embarrassed to get on that hook and call for reinforcements? No, you wouldn't. So why would you be embarrassed now? Yeah, we right? always look like, like, we're, like, hey, we're in a good time. Call your buddies and get them here. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.
Right. Right. Like, what, it's, what do you mean calling? Call, what do you mean you're upset about calling your friends and telling them that you're in something? Either way, we'll, we'll call, they would be mad either way. Right. Right. Like I said, because look, if I was struggling with something and I called you for help, would you be mad at me? And they're like, no, I wouldn't. I said, okay, well, that bridge runs both way, brother. You know, I mean, you got to call me. I got to call you. And so I reintroduced these military uh, concepts to guys that they're valuable. And so one of them is the squad. When guys leave the military, a lot of times they leave their squad, right? They're not with their friends that they were with. They're not with their crew, their squad, their teammates. They're on their own out there in the civilian world. And they, a lot of guys try and stay as far away from other veterans and military stuff as they can, uh, because it touches that little bit of trauma. They just try and bury it and walk away. But having that team, having that squad is the most valuable thing they can have. The department of the army did a 40 year long study to determine why the military was so formidable on the battlefield. And they narrowed it down to one single element, which is the squad. Because we fight in squads, those small units were more effective because every member of the squad values the squad over themselves. And therefore, they will fight harder and longer to stay alive because they don't want to let the squad down. And so we have to reintroduce that back into the veteran's life as being a uh, valuable component for success in this civilian life on this new battlefield, the battlefield of the mind. Yeah, I like it's, it. It's the one thing they train us. I mean, there is no... And they don't even tell us this. I mean, if kind of it would have been worded like, okay, as you're going along, you're also this is complete training for when you get out. Right. I think us wartime guys are a little different because our our enemy didn't have a face, and then there wasn't any set rules or standards. Like we, it was almost like we were training to fight a ghost and deal with deal with ghosts our entire life. When you get out, oh by the way, you're gonna have to deal with some ghosts, stuff you can't see. You know, even if they would have framed it to me like, I was like all right, cool. Back then, you know, when we didn't get into it, I was like, man, whatever they were shelving, I was smelling it and picking it up. I was like, all right, let's do this. And then um, you get around everyone else, and then you start to see it, you believe it, and then your friends around you, they confirm it. And then when we get out, they, I, I mean, I, this was the hardest part is when they separated me from all of them. I didn't right. like that too much at all. So I had to get in my head and go like the Jason board, James Brown. Uh, James Brown, love you, brother. I brought this old man. I was jamming to him earlier on the tractor. Sorry. <laughs> Freudian slip. Whereas like you're an independent operator. And I, you know, you gotta focus on that, focus on the job, not what's a matter with the job. That that, that comes with it. I mean the stress. Right. I, I I tell guys that you know you didn't fight the war alone, so don't fight, you know, PTSD alone either. You know, you need you need a, a team around you that can help you, you know, friends and family. And and sometimes you're gonna need help and sometimes you're gonna be the one helping the other guy. You know, that's that's how this thing we, works. We do all our communicating when we're not even talking to said individual like you and I could be having a conversation somebody else is picking that stuff up and it'll be helping them that's another reason because everyone and the jokes that fly about it are really what help I mean that right, guy, yeah, the, that, the, that, the, our, the humor, our humor is what opens everything up I mean yep. shit. I talk about these um I talk about these three mental health camps right and so as I was as I'm working with veterans and I'm helping guys and I'm, I'm helping myself um I I came up with this concept of these three mental health camps that I find most people find themselves in. And on the far left side, I call it the uh, victim mentality. And I talked to you guys a little bit about that, right? Uh, that I lived there for a long time, that I just thought I was a victim of my circumstance and that nothing was ever my fault, right? Like I got fired from my job because I knew my the job better than my boss, right? Not because I was a complete jerk. And so I took no personal responsibility for my life at all. Um, and that was the victim mentality. 
And then on the far right side, you have what I call the denier camp, where there are people who think that, oh, if they're, you know, people with PTSD are just weak or they're broken or they just need to get over it or they just need to figure it out. And I hear sometimes from, uh, you know, the faith-based community where if, if you just prayed more, you know, maybe you would, uh, uh, you know, be able to get through that. And these are people who don't understand, you know, mental health. They deny that it's a real medical issue and it really is a detriment to the whole conversation. But those are both minority camps on the left and the right. The majority of people I find are in what I call the, um, the silent majority. Those are guys and gals who have struggled with mental health, but they're too afraid to say anything. They're doctors, they're lawyers, they're veterans, they're police, and they've all dealt with mental health issue, um, but they didn't surrender to it. They're struggling through it, but they're too afraid to say anything because they don't want the, the people on the right, the denier camp, to paint them as the people on the left, the victim mentality. So they stay quiet. And the real statistic is this, is that 67% of men in America have admitted to struggling with a mental health crisis during their lifetime. So think about that statistic, 67%. That's two out of three men will admit it. Men who are notoriously tight-lipped about mental health are starting to admit they have a problem. And so imagine how many didn't admit it, right? If two out of three are admitting it, uh, imagine how many are struggling. Yeah, so basically didn't. that's all of us. So if all of us have a problem and we know that now, then it shouldn't be a problem. That's, that's right. And so the only way for, for us to change the conversation is for the silent majority to stand up and have these conversations, you know, like, like we're all having right now, where we're talking about mental health, where we struggle with these issues, but we don't surrender to them. You know, we continue to press forward. We continue to work. We're, we're, you know, we're pastors, we're dads, we're firefighters, we're moms, we're uh, still successful people, but we struggle with mental health from time to time. And if we can step forward and say, hey, I struggle, uh, it changes the conversation for everybody. So when, when, I can, when I can stand up and say, hey, man, I struggle with depression and anxiety, they look at me like, well, how, how do you why do you struggle with that? That doesn't make any sense. I mean, you, you own a successful business. You have an award-winning nonprofit. You travel over, all over the world. You do speaking engagements. You wrote a book. Like, how do you have mental health issues? I'm like, I, I do. It changes their their idea of what mental health looks like. So for the people in the denier camp, uh, it changes what they think mental health is. It's not, it's not the person who's broken, who can't do anything when they see somebody like me, who's still out there surviving and striving. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time.
flip it like this then. It's like, all right, everyone who's successful, we're the ones with mental issues. And we're working through life to figure out what they are. And by doing that, we've built an empire. That's absolutely right. I mean, when you get to the end of it, you look back and you're not mentally broken anymore. And you're like, all right, so was I mentally ill or was I missing a a piece of my mental puzzle that only life could have given me? And, and by doing that, that anxiety that I had about not being anybody pushes you. Just know that that's the fuel to push you in the direction that you need to do. And by building your, your one, one brick at a time, it's like, man, I think I, want, I, I don't have any idea what I want to do, but I know I'm going to do this right this right this moment. It doesn't make any sense. And just keep building it and building it and building it. And then those things go away. There's stuff you don't need, it goes away. And it kind of, you, you flip it back around on itself. It's like, yeah, I had to start off kind of rough. Because we come in learning how to live while we're dying. That's a yep. real thing. Plain and simple, right? You gotta learn how to do yeah. that. When when we can have these these conversations about mental health, you know, it 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 challenges what people think, right? And so it also gives hope to the people who are stuck in that victim mentality that they can have success too and they can do better and be better. But the most important thing it does is it empowers the people who are in the silent majority to stand up uh, and not be afraid to admit that they struggle too. And the more of us that can come forward the more solutions we can find. I would love to see, you know, mental health curriculum in grade school and high school and college where they're teaching people skills on how to overcome these things. Cause it's something we're all going to deal with at some point. So we better start learning how to figure this thing out. That's a big part of it. Admitting like, Hey man, uh, I'm not as tough as I thought I was today. I'm struggling, you know, and I need, I need a little bit of extra support. You know, what I've found is that there's, there's healing through serving other people. And that's really the basis of uh, the whole program that I run with veterans. Um, when, when I was struggling really bad, I, I became suicidal and I almost committed suicide, uh, in this vacant parking lot. And I remember I drove into the parking lot. It was the 4th of July and I just backed my truck up, uh, against the side of the building. And, uh, I figured I was just going to end my life right there. I just, I'd had enough. And, uh, I rolled down my window. It was a hot July day and I rolled down my window to get a little bit of a breeze come through and I could hear these kids off in the distance, uh, playing on this playground. And I thought, well, I'm just going to wait here and, uh, wait for these kids to leave. Cause I don't want them to walk up on me and have to deal with this. And so I waited and waited and waited. And when I woke up, uh, I'd fallen asleep. And when I woke up, the suicidal ideations were gone. And I thought, okay, well, I'm just going to go about my day. Well, I got invited to church a few days later and I was pretty anti-religion. I was like, I'm not interested in, in any of that. No, thanks. But uh, I remember I woke up that Sunday, a um, little hungover and there's that address sitting there. And I thought, all right, I'm going to go check out this church thing. What the heck? And I went to the address and I drove into that very same parking lot that I'd almost come my life in. What's up? Yeah, it's New Life Church in Renton and uh rent in washington and i'd almost it was a surreal experience i was like whoa this is a trip and i didn't believe in god at the time and i'm like but there's something here like this is this is too big of a coincidence and so i started going and i started listening to what the pastor was talking about he was doing a sermon series on feeling lost and alone and i'm like this dude's reading my book right now like this is exactly how i feel and so they did an altar call at the end of the service and you know i gave my life to the lord and i thought wow this is going to be it like everything's going to be good now but it wasn't. I was still dealing with all those problems. But I couldn't shake this coincidence that had happened. And I learned now there's no coincidences, only divine appointments. But uh, I started really digging into the Bible and trying to, to read and understand. And I, I started a small group with these guys. 
and uh, just studying the Bible. And at the same time, I'm reading these medical journals. And that's where I started to, to understand these concepts about how the brain worked and, and what scripture has been telling us for, for generations, how the brain works. And then I got invited to go to Mexico uh, about nine months later to build a home for a homeless family. And I was, I was like, I don't want to do that. I, I, I don't want to go out of the country. I don't want to go help nobody. And wait a minute, you mean I got to pay money to go do this? I definitely don't want to do it. But I did it. Um, I, I, I felt the Lord tugging on my heart to do it. And it was over Memorial Day weekend. And I was like, no, I don't want to do it on Memorial Day weekend because uh, I got plans. I'm going to go belly up to the bar and uh, drink with my buddies that didn't come back with me from Iraq. And so that was what I had done every year. And so that's what I wanted to do. But uh, the Lord just pressed on my heart to go. And so I did. And when I was there and I was building that home for a homeless family, something changed inside of me, man. I was actually, I actually had emotions that I hadn't had uh, in years. You know, I just felt really dead inside, really numb to everything. And I started having these emotions. I was like, well, I don't know what this is, but I need more of it. And so I went back uh, and I talked to the pastor. I was like, hey, when are we going to go do this again? He's like, oh, we only do it once a year. I was like, well, that's not enough for me. Uh, and so he hooked me up with these other organizations. And I spent seven years traveling all over the world and building churches, schools, orphanages, digging wells, building homes for the homeless. Um, and it was helping me heal. There was healing through serving other people. And so I started just journaling all this stuff down, all these things that I was learning about the Bible and the brain and then my own personal experiences. And I just created this little plan for myself to overcome the trauma that I experienced. And during those, during the last 13 years, I went from being homeless and unemployed to having over 105 employees in the Pacific Northwest with my janitorial company that I started. Uh, I have an award-winning nonprofit and I'm a published author. And I have a technology startup that um, our suicide prevention app just finished its medical trials in North Carolina. Um, and so all of that from just learning how the brain operated and using military battle tactics to put it together. And then five years ago, the Lord called me to lead other veterans onto the mission field to find that same healing that I did. And so I started a nonprofit and started helping guys. And since in the last five years, we've received two separate awards from the Department of Veterans Affairs. And then I was named Seattle's hometown hero in 2017. Um, and and, and it's, it's not anything that I do, really. It's just showing these guys like, hey, man, this is how you can overcome these things that happened in the brain. That's why I'm right here in Lithuania right now, working with these college students, teaching them the same thing. Uh, you know, it's just just showing them what the Lord taught me and, and helping them, you know, get on that path to healing. Would you, when you go out and do this, would you say everyone's eager to receive you? No, 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 not, not necessarily. Like? So um, there's twofold on that. There's the veteran side and then the people that we're helping, right? And so um, a lot of the veterans don't want to go, right? They have that same resistance that I did. Like, ah, I don't want to go do that. You know, I want to just take care of my family, take care of my stuff and not worry about anybody else. And so a lot of them are resistant to it, but um I just try and engage them on a regular basis. Like, Hey man, check this out. They can read the book. They can see testimonials from other guys. And I try and really get the guys who go through the program to bring their buddies. Right. Because now there's somebody that they know and trust that they're going with. And sure, uh, so that, to, right? that helps a lot. 
And as far as like uh, where we go, I, I tell people there's no better person to be a missionary out there in the world than a former military guy because um, you work long hours for very little pay. You uh, travel to dangerous places that most people normally wouldn't go. And everywhere you go, there's a portion of the population that probably wants to cut your head off and put it on a pike. Yeah. every so, true, That sounds like a combat man. If that was in the brochure to join the Navy. <laughs> You know what I'm talking about? I mean, our guys are, our generation's all over that. Right? I mean, they were all over that. And it's just like the military was the forward training for the, for your missionary work. That's exactly right. I told I mean, guys, I mean, it's you the seen same. the new Rambos. They're phenomenal, right? Just get to, because you know what kind of adventures we get on while we're over there. Yeah. I, 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 I tell guys that, um, uh, you know, guys are a little bit worried about safety, you know, like, Oh, I don't want to go to Mexico, the cartels, this and that, or, you know, I don't want to go here because it's, it's dangerous. And I say, you guys think about this for a second. If, if some little gangbanger opens the van door because he wants to try and rob us of our, uh, of our wallets, he's literally opening a can of whoop ass. Right? I, I, yeah, you realize we're the most dangerous things running around down here. Yeah. And I, I don't know how that shift happens. I guess I forget that when you're walking around, like, no, you're the ones that are supposed to engage. Right. And so then guys are like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Right. I'm like, yeah, you're, you're, you're 15 to 30 <laughs> other guys that, uh, if something pops off, like it's going to be a really bad day for whoever, oh, you know, man. whoever thought they could get in the mix, but all the missions that I've done, I've never had any incidents whatsoever. Uh, mainly because, you know, we got our head on a swivel and we don't do stupid stuff. You know, we don't go, we don't stay out after dark. We make sure that where yeah. we're staying is secure. You know, I make sure that I'm not operating in areas that I shouldn't be. You know, I do all the, all no, the work. Inv- everything we stuff. were trained to do. Yeah, exactly. I mean, exactly. that's what, that's what war did too. It teaches you what to look at, what to see, what, where to go. What not, not to go. I mean, there are areas down here that some people shouldn't walk into. I mean, that's, that's right. It's, it's dangerous. If you're not dangerous enough to be in there, don't go, don't go in there. Because it's law of the jungle, law of the jungle. And even if you think you got, you know, you can go in there, there people will come in as cu- curious, trying to figure you out. So know thyself, right? That's right. And so that's, that's how I found my path that the, the, of healing is healing through service. And so one of the questions I had for you is, um, you know, what was that like for your path? You know, what, what is a, a couple of those, those key things that you could, uh, you know, tell me to, to, to help me on, on my journey? What are those things that helped you? You hear mind, body, and spirit all the time. Mind, body, and spirit. Mm-hmm. They're different. Completely, absolutely different. You agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. When you come into this world, you start out as one of those three. You're either going to start the first part out with having to be a body guy, or you're, tra- or you're, you're good with your mind, or your spirit drives you, and you can't teach them anything, or can't get them to do anything. Like when I ask people, like, oh, all right, so you're a body. What gym do you go to? Why do you go to that gym? I like this routine. It does this for me. It has this kind of equipment. I'm like, okay, why that martial art? Why that style? I was like, oh, it fits me better. There's differences between us, right? This one kind of is more unique to me. Like, all right, check. Oh, your mind. Why did you go? Why do you read those books? Why do you listen to that that music? Why do you go to that school? Well, it's this this kind of resonated with me. This and the other. All right, spirit. Why do you go to that church? Why do you study this religion? It's like, all right, kind of calls to me a little bit better. So as you're going through life, man, you. Well, our, our journey is that, that the hard road is actually the one you want to take, the unbeaten one, because it's the most fun. With us, where it's like an obstacle course. But you get to climb over stuff, and there's all kinds of lessons to be learned. And as you go through life, each one of those, as you work out the body, the mind, and spirit will get worked out as well. 
but not as hard as you're getting pressed on your body. And then that points in life, those switch. And that's sometimes you can feel an mm. emptiness. Uh, sometimes you feel fulfillness, uh, full. And, and at no point in time should you ever gauge your entire life off of one moment that's already transpired. That's, that's not mm. how it's supposed to work. Mm-hmm. And I tell people, if, even if you don't believe in the Lord, imagine that it, this is something. It was created that right now you're laying on a bench with a virtual reality goggle on. This is the game God of life. And everything you go through here, the feelings that you feel and everything is actually designed. Once you go through death, then those goggles come off and everything you've ever been through, that's gone. You just had the lessons that you're learning. Right. And, and so when you get up, man, you go, we, we go into the game. Like if we're blades, as sharp as we are, everyone that we run into is, is a stone and they'll sharpen you, polish you, or dull you out and life's the mill. And, and you can step out off the mill, and then when you put that steel back on, man, it's screaming, sparks are flying. Like, what are you doing to me, man? I'm like, I'm sharpening you. And then pull you off, get really hot, really cold, beat the mess out of you, and do it again. Until you get so sharp, and everybody that you run around with is so dang sharp, man, that you don't get dull. Right. And that's when you turn back around and become, you know, you want to be the warrior in the garden. You can't have a gardener in the war. That, that's, that, that probably wouldn't be good, right? Uh, it's the other way around. And then you spend the rest of that time passing back the lessons without having to go through the, the violence. That and don't sweat the petty stuff and don't pet the sweaty stuff. You remember that? You'll be real good, man. <laughs> <laughs> you brought that one in. That's the best oh, one I've ever heard. Good, that yeah. the best. Freaking best that I've ever heard. Best. That's awesome. All right, brother. So, hey, last, how can people, man, if we're looking for you, follow you? How can we yeah, see so you? You can follow me um, on sergeantq.net. You can find all my social media there. Um, you can find the book. It's Healing Through Service. And if, you, if you're if you interested uh, in learning more about it, you can go to healingthroughservice.com. And so the book, what really helped me in the church was going through a small group study with a bunch of guys. So when I wrote the book, I designed it so that way you could go through it together with a group of friends as a small group study. So there's the book and a video series that goes with it. And you can find all of that at healingthroughservice.com. Um, later this fall, I'm going to start an online version with it. So I'll actually be instructing it if people want to sign up for that. Um, it's a six week long course that I'll put guys through where you read a couple chapters of the book and then we discuss it. We watch a little video, uh, and then I assign these little tasks. And so I kind of just Mr. Miyagi guys through the whole process, right? I have them do this little task, uh, do this little task, do this little task, and then say, okay, these three things together, this is a tool you can use to overcome, uh, this specific trauma. And so, um, I call it the warrior's guidebook to overcoming trauma. And there's 11 chapters, but really there's 12 because as you journal through the process, you write the last chapter of my book, which is the first chapter of your own book. Cause when you're finished, you'll have your own guidebook, um, to overcome the traumas that you've specifically, uh, dealt with in your life, whether they're from your childhood or from combat or from, you know, anything else that you've experienced, you know, you can use these, uh, lessons in here to find healing. And so we have that available uh, for people. And if you're a vet and you want to sign up with us, you can go to qmissions.org. So the letter Q and then missions.org. And uh, you can sign up to go on, you know, one of these trips with us. And so I'd like to throw that invitation out to you guys too, to your squad here. If you guys are interested uh, in going on one of these trips, we do it every Memorial Day. And I take a team down uh, anywhere between 20 to 60 guys. We put 20 guys on a house and we'll build a house in two days. So it's four days down there, 
It's uh, one day of travel down, two days to build, and one day travel back. And uh, we'll build the house in two days. We'll discuss the curriculum in the book. So we teach some hip pocket classes when we're down there. So everything's paid for. Um, the only thing you got to do is is get to San Diego. So whether you drive there or get your own airline ticket to get to San Diego to the airport, uh, once you get there, everything else is covered. So we raise all the funds uh, to take guys on this trip. Well, that's amazing, brother, man. Thank you again for coming out here and sharing all that. Give and, us uh, your, give us your one, your takeaway, one piece of never quit advice for our listeners. You know, for me is, uh, the never quit. And I think about this a lot, you know, if I had been successful in my suicide attempt, I would have never been able to raise two great kids that are now missionaries, you know, for the Lord. I would have never been able to uh, employ over 100 people in the Pacific Northwest or uh, start this award-winning nonprofit that helps veterans. I would have never created this technology that's literally saving lives uh, right now today. And so we never know what tomorrow is going to hold. And so you just have to hold on until tomorrow um, because you don't know what's right around that corner. So that's my advice to guys when you feel like, you know, this is the end and you've screwed your life up to where you know, you can't come back from it. Uh, you know, look at me. And if I would have ended my life, you know, all those years ago, I would have never uh, had all these great experiences. I would never be traveling the world or, or, uh, teaching other guys how to overcome trauma. So, you know, your story can empower other people to, you know, you can be the light that leads them out of the darkness and the pain that they're in. That's a good one. Yes, sir. Drop the mic. All right, brother. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Team Never Quit podcast. You guys, make sure to subscribe anywhere you get your podcast so you never miss an episode. Make sure you follow us on social media. Check out our YouTube channel. Drop in new episodes there every single week. And if you'd like to see everything we've got going on, check us out at teamneverquit.com. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.